for example, if you got into an accident, so we got lots of suffering again. Yeah. So I, I don't know how to handle I am the owner to my kama, I am the heir to my kama, but supported by my kama, whatever kama I shall do for good or for ill of that, I shall be the heir. I cannot rectify your karma. I can only rectify my karma. So if I, if I act in uh, unskillful ways, and uh, I rob a bank, and then I get incarcerated, and then I shoot the jailer, and then they hang me, right? What are you going to do about it? Nothing. You can come counsel me and say, very darn, I was stupid. <laughs> and just try to do down and be- behave yourself. You can do that, but that's my kama. I've, I've created that. And kama's going to take care of it for me. So you can't, you can't really save me that way. Because they come from some friends who are very good people. Yeah. <laughs> who has practiced. Also, yeah. Uh-huh. And then so we wonder how can it happen to them? Like, how do, why do good things happen to bad people, and why do bad things happen to good people? That's the age-old philosophical question, <laughs> and every religion is trying to answer it. <laughs> so Christians say it's God's will. God works in mysterious ways. Uh, Allah says it's it's a test. I think right. I'm, I don't want to misrepresent things, but say. Uh, you're being tested or something like that. Buddhism says there's the law of kamma, and that all our all our intentions have consequences in ways that are so complicated we can't understand them. So the complex, and, and then you get the difficulty of the tsunami, where all those people morally implicated in the tsunami, and it just blows my mind. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that at all, but that's the way Theravada answers it. It says... All beings are their owners of their kama, heir to their kama, abide supported by their kama. Whatever they shall do, for good or for ill, of that they will be the heirs. And and uh, so that's the Theravada way of talking about why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Um, and that's a lot of that is speculative, because we don't know. And, and that is one of the things in, in the Theravada text, is say, if you try to figure out the reasons for this moment, all different reasons, you, you, your brain would burst first. It's so complicated, the workings out of that. So we, we use that. Now, if, if you... If a Theravada... If someone comes from a tradition, traditional um, Theravada country, they've grown up with that idea of past life, karmic result. Right? And that's the way they would use those ideas as a, as a sense of acceptance. Well, okay, it's some past karma. person's working it out. And, and they could use it quite skillfully as a way of acceptance. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But culturally, that's what I've seen at least, people from Sri Lanka, Thailand, Burma, Cambodia, those countries, um, they will think in that way. And that will, that will be a way, for most that I've met, which will give them, give them a sense of upeka, or acceptance. Westerners, we have a problem with that. Because we, 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 we tend to live in a really immediate life paradigm. One life. Get it right, huh? so that model doesn't doesn't uh, compute for us right away. Some it does, some it does, but a lot it doesn't. We don't like to think that way, and we think in terms of crime and punishment. So from the more like Christian background, you know, you're punished for your sins. 
so that we don't like the idea of I'm the heir to my kama born in my kama. Oftentimes, I'm generalizing, but um, but in a Buddhist sense, it's just natural because there's no self there. These are the natural consequences of events which just evolve from those kinds of attentions. So certain kinds of attentions have to give certain kinds of results. But if one had to live out all one's kind of karmic stuff, as it were, impossible. It, it, it's so uh, it's like it's like glacial time that goes back, back, back. So there is a way out of this whole cycle of existence, and that way is to realize the unconditioned, the deathless. So Theravada Buddhism doesn't even have prayer. And prayer is something that comes in, um, in into Buddhism as a kind of, I will, like, people do metta bhavana as a kind of prayer, don't they? You know, may you be free from cancer and so on, which is, which is okay, but, but that's not really the intention of Theravada Buddhism. It's not about prayer. You know, it's, it's about responsibility. But prayer is a, seems to be a natural human... Um, Tendency. We like to pray for others. Um, Mahayana developed that much, much more. So, the praying to Amitabha Buddha is very much very theistic, okay? and that's a that's a later addition, which really uh, is hard to to justify with the Four Noble Truths. Right? So there's a there's a real uh, conflict of philosophy there. Um, but having said that, I don't I don't know what that kind of <coughs> recitation and bhakti practice, because it's a faith practice. I don't know how that affects the mind. And I got really surprised by once reading the Diti Suzuki, the, the famous Zen, not Suzuki Roshi, but Diti Suzuki, who did the famous, uh, a lot of the first books on, on Zen Buddhism, practiced Pure Land. And that blew me away. Because, you know, and, and the Master was, Master was in, in California, Master Shunwa, which city of 10,000 Buddhas, I went there once, and they had just finished. They were just finished a retreat. They did two weeks of pure land and three weeks of emptiness. I said, "You can't do that. That's cheating. <laughs> That's a paradox. That's confusing." So I could see that that somehow in that culture, doing pure land practice was, was a kind of bhakti energy, and then they just gave it up and said it's all empty. But whether everyone would do that or not, you know, I think a lot of people would do pure land in a very theistic way, me and God, me and me and Amitabha, what's the difference? You know, it's the same kind of mindset. So I try not to, you know, I, I have my opinions, but I, I've never really done that. So it was interesting to see the monks and nuns and Master Shunwas doing both. Because Theravada goes more like towards emptiness than towards Zen. Um, but prayer, prayer implies a me and a you. Right? And, and the abandonment of that whole model of me and you is the deepest penetration to anatta, the deepest understanding of anatta. Right? Uh, so when you, when, you, when you actually develop metta bhavana in a non-dualistic way, when you just really feel that when, when there's fear and desire and, and anger and so on, the heart just closes. And, and when there is uh, empathy and so on, the heart's open, and you begin to see it doesn't really matter the persons involved. Like a lot, lot, you get a lot of literature saying, well, first of all, you have to love yourself, right? To me, it doesn't really matter. Because when you, when you love something, it doesn't matter if you love yourself or not. Or when you hate, it doesn't really matter. So rather than getting to the self-other paradigm, I just say, I just know, oh, when there is, when there is uh, alienation, the heart's closed. 
when there's empathy, the heart's open. I just go with that. And so whether it's an, you know whether I'm criticizing myself or others, I'm harsh on myself or others. It doesn't really matter. The heart still feels the same way. So I try to take those those teachings on metta bhava in a beyond the dualistic way. But the dualism is what we use. You know, we say, so I say, Opasameto, right? I bring him in, may you be well. But as soon as I think of him, my heart's open, I let go. And I go beyond the language and just get into that open heartedness. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's uh, I think it's it's important to try to keep whatever model you're using, to try to keep that set of principles and concepts in this box and the other one that box. don't try to mix them. Because if you, if you take even the word Buddha, it has a different connotation in Mahayana than it, in, in, say, in, in Pure Land, than it does in Theravada. Just the word Buddha, right? And, and, and so you can get terribly confused if you're not sure of how one uses it and the other. And so Theravada, and that's why, that's where the study is important, you know. This is the way Theravada presents the path. And remember, that's not a, that's not a philosophical a, uh, abstract. It's a concrete way of letting go, uh, of liberation. So it's not, it's not an opinion. It's not like reading Kierkegaard or something like that, an opinion about something. And the Buddha says, I've done this. If you want to do it, do this. You know, and take it or leave it, basically. If you don't believe it, tough. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a negotiation of ideas. It's like, this is the path. There is liberation. Give it a go. You, know, you, may, you, may, you might realize that yourself. Uh, whereas when you get, you get abstract philosophies about cosmologies and, and things like that, you, then you get in the realm of opinion and views and, 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 and different perspectives that way. So I would say whatever tradition you have, is, does, does it work? Does it pragmatically work? Right? So if someone does pure land and it brings them to silence, peacefulness and so on, and they go beyond sense of self, then great. Right? Uh, but if it brings more fear, if it's superstitious, then it's not going to give it a good result. So then I, you know, I always have to do my, my recitation because I'm afraid. You know, so so my, my my spirituality is driven by fear and superstition. That's that that's a danger, isn't it? Or my my, my just very sense of going to a shrine gives me faith and confidence, because culturally it really works. So I go to I go to the shrine, I light some incense, I, I I put some flowers on the shrine, I just feel confident. That's wholesome. So it's how you you know it's how you use these things. But again, I've never practiced pure land and, and things like that. But there are there are very real differences in, in what the language is saying. All right? Buddhist religions. <laughs> and it's, it's also, I think, dangerous to say, you know, everyone's doing the same thing. We're all one. You know, we're all going to the same mountain. I don't know. <laughs> you know, is, 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 a, um, is a radical... Um, fundamentalist of whatever religion are they heading for the same mountain that I'm heading for kind of idea I don't know I'm not sure I don't think so so sometimes we try to be very liberal minded and and say you know we say these very kind of liberal on uh, enveloping things but 
Is it true? The Dalai Lama is brilliant on that. He's, I like that. He says, we have differences. We have differences. But there is this common goodness. So that, that famous meeting he had with the monks in, outside London, and he said, he had, I, I often talk about this, but he had been asked to comment on four gospel quotations which he, had given, he was given before the meetings. And and they, and uh, he gave some really lovely responses. And uh, like they asked him, uh, "What about the resurrection? Christ's resurrection?" And he said, "What's that?" He says, oh, "Jesus rose from the cross." And he thinks about, "Yeah, yeah, we can do that." Really <laughs> 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 great answer. <laughs> And then they, they asked him, so if Jesus was here, what would your question be to him? Right away he said, what's the nature of the Father? Mm-hmm. Said, what's the nature of God? Because yeah. that's the ultimate question for him. What is that? What is that for you? And then in the end, he, you know, he summed it up. He said, oh, it's a very good meeting. You know, we're happy in this kind of avuncular way. And um, He said, you know, we Buddhists have it easier. We can do this many lifetimes. You only have one. <laughs> So he never, you know, he he's very unifying, but he's quite adamant. No, no, there are differences, but it, not in a contentious way. And he's not saying that he's right. He says, no, my my ideas go. This is this is this is a set of ideas that I follow. And and he would say, you know, like what what his readings. No, these are your ideas, but never in a contentious way, and just encouraging that common good that we all have. Very, very beautiful to see how he does ecumenical stuff. Very skillful. All right. C'est tout. Boss.